we're now going to finish our series entitled The Gospel According to Isaiah. We've been spending some time in Isaiah 53, and tonight will be our last installment of The Gospel According to Isaiah. So we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10, 11, and 12, the last three verses of that song. As we dive into that, I'll tell you this. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the resurrection I know it's not Easter. <laughs> I know next Sunday is Easter. But tonight we're going to talk about Easter. So it's kind of a, a pre-Easter message, if you will. What I'm hoping to do is kind of prime the pump a little bit. Let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus before we talk about the resurrection next week. And then I'll, I'll tell you why I planned it this way at the end of the message, what we're going to do on Sunday. So the last three verses of Isaiah 53 are about the resurrection of Jesus. So let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come here tonight to worship you, to praise your name, to give you praise for all that you've done in our lives, that you've saved us, that you've reconciled us into a relationship with you, that you hear our prayers, that you listen to our prayers, that you care about our needs. And we can come to this place to sing songs and say, God, you're good. We can sing songs and say, God, we want to come away with you. We can sing songs and say, God, we want to focus our hearts and our, and our meditation of our minds on you. And then we're also going to open up your word, the word that you wrote, and we're going to read it, and we're going to believe it to be true, and we're going to apply it to our lives. But we need your spirit in this place to help us do that. We need your spirit in this place to help us worship better. We need your spirit in this place to help us relax and to calm ourselves, our soul, and our spirit and forget about the stress and just focus in on why we're here. And we need your spirit in this place to help us have the strength and the courage and the gumption to take what we learn from your word and actually apply it. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll be in this place, and we ask this for your glory and for our ultimate change. Amen. Okay, so in my lifetime, I think that I have witnessed probably some of the most beautiful sunrises in the world and some of the most breathtaking sunsets. Like, for instance, um, the one I'll never forget is when I was about 20 years old, I, I had the privilege to go to Mombasa, Kenya. And one morning I woke up at 5.30 and sat there on the Indian Ocean beach and watched and listened as the sun rose up over that pink and blue beach. It was beautiful. Just a few years ago, I had the opportunity taking some kids to Greece. We went to Greece, and I saw the sun set behind the Parthenon in Athens, and our iPhone pictures just did not do it justice. It was phenomenal. And when I first moved here from Texas, Kelly and I had the privilege of living in this little farmhouse out on Lake St. Louis Boulevard, and it was surrounded by cornfields. And literally, the kitchen window, right as I was doing dishes, I would look at it at night and see the sunset. And I tell you, Missouri has some beautiful sunsets. And that sunset would literally beckon me and say, come outside, sit on the porch swing and soak in this sunset. And Kelly and I would sit out there. We didn't have kids at the time, so we had the freedom to just go outside and sit on the swing and hold hands. And sometimes, sometimes I would feel like I was just going to burst into tears. It's so beautiful. All you see is color and cornfields. Now, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I think a sunset 
is prettier than a sunrise. Like sunsets have a lot of passionate colors and reds and dark hues. And, but sunrises, on the other hand, man, they can just beam right through your soul. And, and you can almost hear this music as the sun is like, oh, oh, oh. And I hear some sort of epic music playing in the background. My wife has taught me this, and that is God is an amazing artist. I mean, look at the way he uses color. It's like the sky is his canvas, and I think he gets a kick out of commanding our attention and saying, splash, 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 would you just look at that? And then we're like, whoa, look at that. I, I, I once heard one, one preacher, actually, I didn't hear him. I'm just kidding. I, I read it in a book. His name's Charles Spurgeon. He said, we preach with words, but God preaches in acts and deeds. If we would perceive it, creation and providence are two continual sermons from the mouth of God. And in the context of his sermon there, he's talking about the rising and the setting of the sun. If we look at it, God is teaching us something. The death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The gospel is being proclaimed every night before we go to bed and every morning before most of you get out of bed. It's a beautiful, magnificent, artistic story that God is showing us. So tonight, I'd like to invite you to listen to a message from the only person worth listening to, and that's God. He wants us to see the sunrise and see the sunset and behold the gospel, and that's what we'll see tonight. Now, our last few verses in Isaiah 53 are all about the resurrected Christ. We're going to talk about the resurrected Christ, and... I, I, I don't know about you, and please don't think that I'm judging you because I don't, I don't know what you're thinking, but I can tell you about myself. I've been to so many Easter services that I could basically know where they're going, and then if they don't go where I want them to go, then I just get mad and leave and then go eat some turkey somewhere. Um, Easter, sometimes we treat it like, well, Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. I've got a new suit. And that's really that's probably the bigger thing that happened today is I'm wearing a new suit. Um, and, and, and I think that there's so much more to the resurrection that we don't get. There has to be if God is throwing it on the sky every night and every morning. So I want to explore that. We're going to look at the last three verses of Isaiah, and each verse teaches us something different about the resurrection. I'm just going to read these three verses for you real quick. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the last verse of Isaiah 53. And it's interesting to me because Isaiah, we know is all about, he's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities by his stripes we are healed. So we know it's about the crucifixion, but did you know it's also about the resurrection? All three of these verses have tastes and flavors of the resurrection. And we'll, we'll see that today. Isaiah's message is not, hey, he's just going to die for your sins. His message says, in the end, he will succeed. 
He will succeed more than you'll ever know. He is going to blow this thing out of the water and resurrect. Three things. Three things we're going to see. First, we're going to see the resurrection of Christ. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. That's what you're supposed to say when I say Christ is risen. <laughs> Did you know that? Christ is risen. See, we're practicing so that next week when we're at Easter service and I stand there and say, he is risen, and you're supposed to say, and see, then we don't even need coffee because we'll just be excited about, it's, it's Easter Sunday and the, hallelujah, the tomb is empty. Okay, then the other thing that we're going to see tonight is that we have a spiritual resurrection. We are being resurrected even today, even now. And then finally, we're also going to see we have a physical re re resurrection, and this is cool. Uh, we're going to talk about that. So first, let's talk about Christ's resurrection. Here's the first verse, verse 10. Yet he was, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his day. So the first thing we'll see is that Jesus has to be alive in order to see, <laughs> right? If you're not alive, you can't see. <laughs> He's going to see his offspring. So we know that he's going to live again. He just died three verses before in Isaiah 58 and 9. Now he's going to see something, so he must be alive. The other thing he's going to see is his offspring. So we mentioned this last week a little bit, that he doesn't have children. He doesn't have a generation that follows. But now we're saying he must be resurrected because he's going to see offspring. And that's pretty cool. But then here's what Isaiah says. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... He will prolong his days. God will prolong his days. So this in the Hebrew is an if-then clause, which goes like this. If there's an if, then there's a then. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? So if he makes an atonement for sin, then he will resurrect and be, his days will be prolonged. So what does this mean? It means that the joy that we have in the resurrection of Jesus is that if his death really does pay for our sin, then we will see later on that he's resurrected. So the resurrection both proves and gives us the effect of his death. It, the effect was that our sins were forgiven. So if there's no wisdom in Christ crucified, then there's no power in the resurrection. Or to say it another way, if there's no resurrection, then there was no wisdom in his death on the cross. The resurrection proves that what he did on the cross was atoned for our sin, which is one of the reasons why we get excited as Christians every Sunday or every day of worship, but more specifically on Easter because he's risen indeed means that his death really did pay for our sin. Or to put it another way, as Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. His resurrection proves that our sins are no more. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to know that my sin are no more. And this is what Easter is really about. Now, how many of you already knew that? So see, I'm just still preaching the same old Easter sermon you've heard before. <laughs> but let me just say this. There's still more. There's still more I think we don't get. And here's the thing that's more. Jesus doesn't just rise from the dead, and he, and, 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 which would be a miracle, right? But other people rose from the dead. Lazarus rose from the dead. Um, Jairus' daughter rose from the dead. Jesus doesn't just rise from the dead and there's an empty tomb, so hallelujah. This doesn't just prove to us as Christians, see, we're right because we can't find his body, so Christians are right. <laughs> you know, Josh McDowell figured it out for us. What it does do is change everything because Jesus comes back with this new body. He, he has a body 
And he has this incorruptible body, the Bible says. And he can tend to appear where he wants to appear and disappear when he wants to disappear. And he eats food and he lets people touch him. And he walks along a road and he eats bread. And he's got a real body. He's not a ghost. He's a resurrected being. He conquers sin. He conquers death. And he comes out this new glorified state. C.S. Lewis says it like this. I love C.S. Lewis. He says, something new had appeared in the universe, something we've never seen before. The Superman, if you will. As new as the first coming of organic life, this man, after death, does not get divided into ghost and corpse. It's a new mode of being has arisen. Christ conquers sin, but also defeats death. And so this door, the, the door of death, which had always been locked, had for the very first time, I love the way he says this, been forced open. Jesus says, <laughs> he's got this body. And he's got this body. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> now, I want to piggyback more on that, but we will later because we're going to get the same body and that's going to be cool. So Jesus, his resurrection proves to us that our sins have been atoned for, but he also starts this trend of this new glorified body. And that's amazing. Scholars, theologians will tell you that Jesus still has that body today. The Jesus that we're going to see in heaven is going to be the same Jesus that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John broke bread with and stuck their finger in his holes. We're going to see that same Jesus. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He is the God-man with this glorified body. So when we get to heaven, we're going to recognize him. I hope he looks like all the paintings I've seen or else we won't recognize him, you know? <laughs> Now, the second thing we're going to see is that we have a spiritual resurrection. Verse 11, 10 and 11. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, that is my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. And so, as I mentioned before, he's alive. That's evidenced by the fact that he sees and he has offspring. And we are his offspring. We're the ones who are his offspring. But how do we become his offspring? It says here, first of all, that he forgives us our iniquities and that he makes many to be accounted as righteous. Interestingly, if you've been following in this series, we've covered this word accounted several times. It's, it's in here many times. It's a, an, obviously, it's an accounting word. <laughs> and it, it means to reckon or to consider as. So we've been considered as or reckoned or accounted as righteous but you're not. I can see by looking at you. And, 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 and I'm not either. I can prove to you that I sinned just yesterday. But you've been accounted, you've been reckoned, you've been credited as righteous, even though you're not. I like the way Martin Luther, the, the reformer, um, said it. He said in, in, in Latin, we are simul estus et peccator, which means in English, simultaneously justified yet sinful. So at the same time we're accounted as righteous, we are simultaneously sinful. You and me are sinful people, but we are accounted as righteous. Now, I'm preaching again a message you've heard before, right? We've already talked about this even in this series. But that's not really what this is about. His resurrection doesn't say, whoo-hoo, we're accounted as righteous, even though we're sinful. It does even something more, and it, he makes us 
his children. So accounted is a legal term. And I don't know about you, but legal terms sound cold and harsh and no fun at all. So I was accounted righteous. So I have to pay my taxes. So I was able to get a lawyer to take care of my speeding ticket, and it was accounted as, you know, a parking ticket instead. But it doesn't, there's no emotion to that. There's no affection to that. So legal terms don't move me. Do they move you? So who really cares if God, I mean, I shouldn't say this. I'm, I'm borderlining on heresy. I, I care. <laughs> but we don't really get moved by the fact that God transfers our unrighteousness into this category of now I'll see you as righteous, even though you're not, because Jesus died for you. And that's good news, but it doesn't move me in any way. But what the Bible says Jesus does is he, he, he adopts us as children. And there's affection there. There's love there. So it's not just that God pardons the criminal. It's that God says, I'm going to adopt you as my son, criminal. And that's a big deal. Here's a couple of verses in the Bible. He redeems us who were once under the law, legal term. We were under this law. We have to pay our taxes. But then, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So he accredits us as righteousness, legal term. He, he moves us out from underneath this law, legal term, so that he can adopt us as his children. That's what he really wants. He really wants you to be his child. Whew, that's good news going on. Because in love, see, there's affection here. He predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So it's always been God's will from the beginning of time because of his love for us to make us his children. Okay, so he, he accredited, thank you. He accredits us as righteous and he adopts us as children. But some of you are smart and you're already recognizing the error of my sermon, which is, well, to be adopted is a legal term too. <laughs> to be adopted is, is a legal thing. And some of you are doing adoptions or have been adopted in this room. And so you know that that really is just another piece of paper that says you've paid the right money and you've passed the right tests and you can now adopt this. And that child's not really yours. And this is why the resurrection, I think, is so powerful. Because what Jesus does is he doesn't just wipe away our sin in a legal sense. And he doesn't just adopt us in a legal sense. He makes us die with him and resurrect with him into new life so that now we're not just adopted as a stepson or as a, a different kind of son with different DNA, but we've been resurrected to new life as his son, as his daughter. Jesus would say, you must be born again. So now it's not that you're just kind of legally adopted. You're going to be born again, and you're actually going to be mine. Doesn't that give you some goosebumps? It, yes. does, it does me. So Jesus says, you must be born again. And, P and Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we paint this picture ourselves through baptism. When we go under the water, we're dead, dying to myself, and we're resurrected anew as a new creation, as a new person, as a Christian, one who is a child of God, a child of Christ, his offspring. And it goes even further than that. The Bible says we're heirs because we're his children. We're heirs. And so Peter or Paul says that we're going to, or Jesus actually, says we're going to rule over cities. I don't even know what that means. As a, pre, as a dispensationalist, I think I know what it means, but I really don't know what it means. Daniel says that we will shine like the stars in the heavens. We've got a future 
because we're heirs of God's kingdom. And you can only be an heir if you're a son or if you're a daughter. This is good news. It's resurrection power in your life today. Today, you get to be crystallized. Is that the right word? You get to go through a little chrysalis is what I mean. You go into a tomb, and then you bust out of that tomb as a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You get to experience a metamorphosis. I've, I have, right? I, I once was Mike Satterfield, but then I died to myself, and I became resurrected, and now I'm a child of God. And any of you in this room who once was not a Christian, you know that you've got like a butterfly or like a worm, if you will, went into the cocoon. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about here. Um, where's Josiah? He needs, I need his help. And then you bust out of there in this chrysalis, and you become a butterfly, I think, or a moth. And you're beautiful. You're the, you're the child of God. It's an amazing thing. There are people out there who haven't experienced that chrysalis. We have resurrection power all over us right now. We're adopted children of God, new creations. And there are people out there who are old creations. They need a chrysalis. And they need a metamorphosis. That's why they need to come to Easter service to hear about the resurrection and to hear about the power this side of, the, of death. We have it today. So here's, here's a question. Here's a discussion question. How does the metaphor of adoption affect the way you think about your life? As I've just explained it, not this legal adoption, but you've been dead and raised with Christ as a new creation. You're, you've spiritually adopted as his child. Or another way of asking that question is, what privilege does adoption imply if you're his son, if you're his daughter? How is this going to affect the way you think about your life? Let's take three minutes and discuss that. All right, so let's, last point. Last point is... Just as Jesus is raised from the dead, which proves to us that our sins have been forgiven, and it shows us this new body that Christ carries, then we get this spiritual power, the spiritual resurrection, where we become adopted children, sons of God. We also have this third thing, which is, well, I'll just show you. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, God says, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. What does that mean? Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So just as the sun goes down every night and when it does, darkness hovers the earth. You and I are absolutely confident that every morning the sun will rise and darkness is chased away. In the same way, Jesus died on the cross on an hour that was devoid of the sun and was buried under the grave for many days in darkness. You and I have proof positive that he is resurrected from the dead. So in the same way, we have another truth painted in the skies for us, and that is that Jesus will divide the spoils. What does that mean? Well, the first thing is, is that this is the very last verse of Isaiah 53, the ominous, magnificent Isaiah 53. And commentators will tell you, this verse, although sounds like I don't understand what it means at all, is there on purpose. It, this is the boom, the nail out of the park kind of a thing. This is it. And what's happening here is this military metaphor. Um, one commentator says, the picture of a victory parade with a servant you know, this is the servant's song, the servant of God. He's a victor. 
of, he's the servant of all people. He's marching in the role of a conqueror, bringing home the spoils of the conquest. So back in the olden days, when a king fought a battle, he would, if he would win, he would have a parade on his way home. And he would parade in all the people that he conquered and said, look at these people we conquered. They're our slaves now. And he would parade in their goats. And he'd parade in their herds. And he'd parade in their jewels. And he'd parade in their weapons. And there'd be this big parade. And then at the end of the parade, they would lift up you know, the, the hero. <laughs> The, the guy who did all the work, really, the guy who killed the, you know, who won the battle almost single-handedly. And, and this picture is of Jesus being this conqueror. And God is saying, thank you. You did all this single-handedly. You're the victor. And then the victor turns around and says, let's give this loot to the people, to my people. And so he's given out jewels. He's given out gold. He's given out goats. He's given out cattle. <laughs> Take these. This is our victory. So what is the spoil that Jesus gives us? Well, we already know he gave us salvation. We already know he credited us as righteous, even though we're simultaneously not. We already know he gave us this power to have a new life today. So what does this verse mean about the spoil? I'll tell you what I think it means. In the same way that you and I can be 100% confident that when the sun goes down at night, it will come up in the morning. And in the same way that you and I can be confident that when Jesus died in the tomb... He came up on Sunday morning in the same way you and I can be confident that even though you will die and go into the tomb and become food for worms, you will come up. You can be just as confident about that, and you will get the same body that Jesus has, this unperishable, uncorruptible, glorified body. You get the spoil. Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is that military metaphor. Jesus has conquered death. And because he's conquered death, he's going to give you a body that will not die. That's an amazing thing. But you will die. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and worms will eat your food. I mean, worms will eat you as food. <laughs> I don't even know. They'll eat your food too, I guess, if you die well fed. <laughs> hmm? The ants will too. The ants will too. Yeah. Thanks. In Texas, the ants are vicious. They will eat you to death. <laughs> so we will rise again with this glorified body. And this is something I think we don't think about very much. I don't. I could use a new body. <laughs> or do I get the same body, but just unperishable? If that's the case then I'm going to start eating protein bars. You know, I mean, I really want the right body. One time I did a wedding, I mean, not a wedding, a funeral, and I was asked at the end, I'm young, I've not done too many funerals yet, and they asked me to say something, you know, at the burial, and I'd already said all my good stuff in the sermon at the thing, and so I get to the burial, and I said, I don't know what, you know, some thumbing through the Bible, like, God, give me something, and I find something. Oh, yeah, we're going to be raised again. I'm going to say, she's going to be raised again, and she's going to have abs. And everyone just looked at me and just, just stared at me, and I'm like, <sighs> it was Kelly's grandma is going to have abs. So I'm really embarrassed about that. But, you know, maybe abs aren't important when you're in heaven. I don't know. As Christians, we believe in the physical Real resurrection of the body. You will live forever. Listen to, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus is talking, arguing with the Sadducees. And he says, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Have you not read what was said by God? 
See, Jesus now just says the Bible is God's word. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. So Jesus says, see there? He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. God, Jesus builds a whole argument on a pronoun, right? I am instead of I was. I love that. So he's arguing with the Sadducees. You know why the Sadducees are sad, right? Because they don't believe in the resurrection. They're sad, you see. <laughs> But we believe in the resurrection. Jesus also said this, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Hey, there's a sermon here that I'm not going to preach, but you could probably preach it to yourself because they cannot repay it for you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is already teaching commonly, you're going to be resurrected. And when you are, there's going to be a day in which you're going to be repaid. So your life on this earth is temporary. You will die, but you'll be resurrected. And that's what really matters, what's going to happen on the other side. Again, I don't think we think about this so much. Okay, another thing. Jesus says this, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus says, everyone is going to resurrect. <laughs> everyone. And some of us are going to be resurrected to life, eternal life. And others are going to be rejected to some sort of judgment. And I don't want to talk about that. And here's another story. Jesus was approaching Lazarus's tomb. Lazarus had been dead for four days. He tries to comfort Martha. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I know, I, I know, I know, I know. He's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. <laughs> Which is the way we talk about it. I, I know, you know, come by and by, good old glory. We're going to be there, sipping tea with Jesus. <laughs> and that's the way we talk about the resurrection. I know. I'll see him again. And I think Jesus says this in modern English. No, 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 no. You're missing the point. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though they will taste death, yet will they live. This is a good, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Lazarus rose from the dead, but he died again. Jesus is saying, don't you miss this. You believe in me, you'll never, ever die. Wow. Behold, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And I want to sing a song right now. And, and we shall be changed. Wow. The trumpet's going to go. And then. I don't know what I did earlier. And we're going to be new with abs. As sure as the sun goes down and comes up, you will go down, but you will come up. Doesn't that make you excited? Okay, well, here's a question then. Why is it that Easter Sunday I get kind of bored with the sermon? Because I've heard it a million times maybe? Because I really haven't said probably anything you didn't already know. So why is it that we do kind of talk like Martha and say, yeah, I know. You know, but I still got to pay taxes. <laughs> I'm still going to go to work tomorrow. I still got to worry about whether or not I'm going to be able to make end meets or if my kids are going to grow up to be healthy. So here's a question then. What application can you draw from the fact that your body will be resurrected just like Jesus's body was resurrected? I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, I, I could keep preaching, but I think it would be better if we stopped and paused and thought about this. What are we going to, how are we going to apply this? 
Are we going to apply it like Martha and say, yeah, I know. Or are we going to say, but what does that mean for now? What does that mean for today? If, if I've already been spiritually resurrected into a new creation and adopted son, and I also know that I'm going to be physically resurrected with this new body, how does it affect the way I live today? And there is actually an answer to this. This isn't just like a, uh, hey, humdrum, just talk about this. I mean, there really is an answer. And I've even given you a clue on the screen. So let's talk about it. Three minutes. Like, is that is, if there is going to be an afterlife, and hallelujah, praise the Lord, he is risen. He is risen indeed. We get to be resurrected too. But what about all those other people who are going to be resurrected to judgment? What about all those other people who are going to be resurrected and not experience the glorified state body that we get. How selfish are we to not, as Mike said, go nuts for Jesus and stand in front of some bullets? There are people out there who need to be... There are people out there who come to church only on Easter, and they hear this message, I guess, but we have an opportunity, perhaps maybe, if they come this Easter to hear a similar message and hear the gospel. You have an opportunity to invite folks to that, you have an opportunity in your life. You don't have to invite them to church. Just share the gospel with them. Just share life with them. Just show them your spiritually resurrected body so that they will long for that and then tell them about the physically resurrected body too, which is crazy and weird, and you might freak them out, so wait and do that later, but still talk about what you have in Christ today. And so to close, I'll say this. There are two ki three kinds of resurrections that we covered today. First, Jesus is resurrected, and when he's resurrected, it proves to us that your sins are forgiven, and that's good news, because if he didn't resurrect, your sins are not forgiven, and you're still in your sin. But he also gets this new body that he then is going to give us, the first. He's the firstborn from among the dead, and we get to be the secondborn from among the dead. And the second thing is, is that we get this new spiritual resurrection. We become new creations, and we have Holy Spirit power that raised Jesus from the dead living in within us to do the work of ministry. And then the third thing is, is that you will be resurrected, and this is ultimately true. Just as true as the sun sets and sunrise, just as true as Jesus died and resurrected, you will also have a new body. And this is good news. This is good news. Maybe you're here tonight, and this is the first time you've heard that good news. I want you to know that all you have to do, the Bible says, is call upon the name of the Lord because he loves you and he adopted you. He wants to adopt you. He's done everything to make it possible for you to be his child. Why would you not want to be the child of God? Why would you not want to be the child of a God who can resurrect a man from the dead? Why would you not want to be the child of a God who would die for you? I love the way C.S. Lewis paraphrases Jesus' words. He says it like this, Come to me, everyone who is carrying a heavy load, and I will set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat me. Drink me. I am your food. And finally, don't be afraid, because I have overcome the whole universe. There's nothing Jesus can't do if he conquered death. And he says, I'll give you that power. I can do it all for you. Just come to me. So if you're here tonight, and this is the first time you've heard this gospel message, the answer is, just come to Jesus. Just pray, Lord, I, I want to be saved. Lord, I want to be resurrected. I want to be adopted as your child. And he will adopt you. Would you pray with me?